Well, once again, good morning, VRBC, you who are in the room, great to see you, you who are online, thanks for joining us. Today we close out our One Another series. Uh, We've been focusing on the one another's of Scripture that help us grow deep roots together in Jesus. And so we've talked about loving one another and encouraging one another and serving one another and praying for one another. And today we come to one of the most challenging, and that is to forgive one another. And... uh, As we get to Colossians 3.13 and read those challenging words, what we're going to need is the deeper vision, the bigger vision, the the whole passage that surrounds these words. And so I hope you'll listen for that as I read Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God bless the reading of his word. You ever heard the expression, read it and weep? (laughs) Maybe that's how you felt when you read verse 13. In fact, I want to be real clear about this one another. I want to waste no time. I want to put it up on the screen. Uh, We can see it in all its stark clarity, what this one another that's being asked of us today. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, at this point, I want to check your pulse a little bit. Because I wonder, as you read these words about forgiveness, is there a part of you that thinks about opting out (laughs) of this verse, as if that were an option? Is there a part of you that says, I'm just not going to enroll in verse 13. I'm going to choose to opt out. I mean, Paul practically asks a question to all of us. He asks you, do any of you have a grievance against someone? And we almost want to laugh out loud at the apostle, don't we? Do any of us have grievances? Why, let us count the ways. Perhaps this topic uh, makes you think of that famous Seinfeld episode that some of my colleagues reminded me of, where George Costanza's father invites him to a made-up holiday called Festivus, which includes, among other things, an airing of grievances. Um... George's dad says, I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it, right? Maybe that feels a little more natural uh, than verse 13. In fact, even to say the word grievances, um, it may bring to mind grievances that you've carried and maybe carried for a while. Maybe you still struggle with uh, memories of a younger sibling who managed to hog all the attention in the house. Or an older sibling who used their size and age and wit to advantage against you. Can you tell I'm a middle child, by the way? Uh, 
the oppressed middle child. Maybe you struggle with parents uh, who were too smothering and never gave you any freedom or independence. Or on the other hand, maybe you struggle with parents who were disinterested and never really noticed you. Maybe you struggle with grown-ups in your past uh, who were so harsh and so unrealistic in their expectations that, that, that nobody could live up to their expectations. And the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, bear with each other. <laughs> Forgive one another. Come on, Paul, we haven't even listed out all our grievances yet. Right? Maybe you struggle with a boss who passed you over or a coworker who stole your thunder or a subordinate who wrote slanderous things about you in a 360 review. Maybe you struggle with a school teacher who doesn't know how to appropriately motivate your child or a coach who puts his son in at shortstop when everybody knows your boy is so much better. Bear with each other, forgive one another. Maybe you feel like saying, Paul, in all due respect, do you know my story? Do you know my trauma? Do you know my wounds? Do you know that every week I play back in my mind those words a so-called loved one said to me once? that still wound? Do you know that my ex is trying to use my own children against me? Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Look, I'll be honest with you. As I've approached this passage, my fear has been that some of you are going to read Colossians 3.13 and you're going to immediately opt out. I think we do that sometimes. At least that's our temptation. We read in James 1 where it says, count it all joy when you go through various trials. And we say, nope, I'm opting out of that. In no way I'm going to rejoice in this trial. We read about giving generously, hilariously. And we say, nope, money is too tight right now. Sorry about that. My fear as a pastor, as a preacher, as a believer, is that you and I will read this stuff and in no way will well up in our hearts. But friends, if we opt out, we will miss out. If we opt out of this command, of this truth, we will miss out on all that Christ has for us. And so I know I got my work cut out for me today. I know the same list of wounds you walked in with will still be there when you walk out question I've been asking and prayer partners are praying with me is what if? What if we really caught the vision behind this passage? Because it's a beautiful vision. And I think we're going to need the vision to see others differently and to practice this all-important one another of forgiving one another. So when it comes to forgiveness, instead of immediately opting out, I'm going to prayerfully ask you to consider buying in, investing in a lifestyle of forgiveness. Can I ask if we could at least let the Apostle Paul make a sales pitch to us? Because maybe what we've lacked is this overarching vision. You know, I can remember uh, when I was a boy, uh, way back in the dark ages, if, if two boys were fighting, this is what conflict resolution looked like. If two boys were fighting, they would immediately be separated by grown-ups, scolded, and then you know what they would be told to do? They would be told to shake hands and to tell one another they're sorry. Are you kidding me? I don't think I ever squeezed a hand as hard as I would 
when I was telling that boy I was sorry. You know, I was trying to crack his knuckles. I'm sorry, you know. What I lacked was the overarching vision. The problem in that moment was that there was nothing in my mind, nothing in my heart, and certainly nothing in my handshake that was full of an ounce of remorse, that was full of an ounce of readiness to ask for and offer and receive forgiveness. What I needed then, and sadly what I still need today, is the bigger picture. I need the vision. Lord, be thou my vision. Instead of seeing forgiveness as a forced handshake and a fake apology, I want us to look at what true, Christ-like, Christ-empowered, Christ-honoring forgiveness looks like. I want us to look at this vision of forgiveness. It's a beautiful vision. There are two aspects to it as I see it. And the first aspect is that forgiveness is something we wear. You might say forgiveness is woven into Christ's garments that he outfits us with. When I speak of Christ's garments, I'm speaking, of course, of verse 12. I'm speaking of the spiritual clothes that Jesus puts in our wardrobe, that Jesus invites us to put on each day. Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, look at all five, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What a verse. What a verse. You notice how often we can... um, uh, feel out of place by the clothes that we wear? I mean, have you ever shown up overdressed for a, a casual dinner or underdressed for a formal dinner, you know? And you just feel so self-conscious. Well, these clothes here that Christ outfits us with are appropriate for any occasion we find ourselves in. These are the garments of salvation. You might say that Christ dresses you with a shirt that is embroidered with the words, God's chosen. He puts a coat around you that on the back says holy. He puts a hat on your head that on the front says dearly loved. Christ outfits you. Before you're ever called to forgive, Christ clothes you in forgiveness and grace. He not only clothes you with his love, he also clothes you with his character through the ministry of his grace in the Holy Spirit. So what is it about Christ's character that makes forgiveness possible. Well, first, Christ is compassionate. That Greek word uh, suggests the idea of our our guts. It's that love that goes way down deep. Secondly, kindness. Kindness is a Christ-like interface with another person. Kindness is the way Christ treats other people. Perhaps you've heard one of the the greatest, uh, the name of one of the greatest Christian influencers of all time, Uh, a guy named Augustine, or in Texas we call him Augustine. Maybe some of you, like me, you've named your front yard after St. Augustine. Uh, um, Well, uh, Augustine was a a, a philosopher, he was a teacher of rhetoric, a speech teacher, which was a big deal uh, in the the Roman Empire. Uh, He was something of a playboy. He famously said, Lord, give me chastity, uh, but not yet. Um, you know, and uh, that, that's him. And because he was a speech professor, he was interested in, uh, in hearing sermons, just kind of as a, an artifact of, of speech. And he began to listen to the sermons of a, of a very famous bishop by the name of Ambrose. 
And he, he was not impressed with the sermons at all. <laughs> uh, he would have said about the sermons, he would have, he would have kind of given the Latin word meh as, uh, as an analysis of the sermons. But he said Ambrose was so kind, and it was the kindness of Ambrose that worked on him and began to draw him in. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility. You know, you may have heard this, but in the ancient world, people didn't aspire to humility. It was an insult. It wasn't a compliment. But Jesus changed the way so much of the world sees humility. And when it comes to forgiveness, humility keeps us from, from rearing up. It keeps us from inflating our own egos and our own importance. Uh, humility helps us see ourselves honestly. If, if kindness is a Christ-like attitude towards others, humility is a Christ-like way of seeing ourselves. And those things, compassion and kindness and humility, create the different ma difference makers of gentleness in how we treat others and patience in how we bear with one another, a gentle attitude and a patient response. You could think of all these as clothes, you know, a, Undershirt and shirt and vest and tie maybe and a, and a coat. And then Paul says you're going to need a big belt to hold them all together. And so in verse 14, he says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Isn't that beautiful? Anybody ever heard of something called hay wire? It's a very light baling wire. Did okay most of the time for, for binding hay, hay bales. Uh, but sometimes you'd, you'd see it in a logging camp because it was cheap and expensive. And people, uh, loggers would try to fix stuff and they'd try to fix it with haywire. But because it was so light and insubstantial and, and cheap uh, of a material, the things that they fixed would often come apart. And so the expression came to us that things have gone haywire. Things are no longer bound together. Things that are supposed to be together have come apart. Sometimes in our relationship, they were bound together by haywire, and it didn't last when things got tough. But isn't it interesting that Paul says, bind them all together with love, what one writer calls cohesive grace. Lots of things in this world can push us apart. Love can bind us together. Isn't that a beautiful vision? All these virtues made available to us through the Holy Spirit, they help us see the bigger picture. They help us to bear with one another. I did not say be a bear with one another, right? but to bear with one another. Sometimes we communicate to people in our lives, as soon as you change, I'll love you. As soon as you change, I'll forgive you. But until that time, I'm not going to bear with you. I'm not going to put up with you. A pastor by the name of Sam Storm says that forgiveness is basically deciding to live with the painful consequences of another person's sin. They did this to me. It's not going away. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to live with it and not keep trying to give it back to somebody with vengeful, vengeful attitudes and actions. What, what, what would this vision, how would this vision change your relationship if you thought about the clothes that in Christ we can put on every morning. A few years ago I read an essay and it sounded like nonsense the first time I read it. But the more I thought about it, the more sense it made. 
Uh, it was not written by a Christian, but we know that all truth is God's truth. And, uh, and this had uh, uh, gospel implications, pretty profound gospel implications. Okay, here's the thesis of the article. The author said that we should treat people in our lives, including adults, including spouses, like small children. Does that sound kind of almost patronizing to you? Like you say to your spouse, come here, little baby, you know? Let daddy hug you. Doesn't that sound a little patronizing at first, right? It sounds absurd, but hear him out. He says this. He says, when you put a plate of food in front of your two-year-old and they say, no, I don't want it, and push it out of the way, do you look at them and say, how dare you treat me that way after the day I've had? Do you know how hard I've worked? Do you know? No, you don't say that at all, do you? I mean, you may be a little frustrated, you may, you may speak out of turn, but in your mind, you're saying, I wonder if Junior has that sore tooth again. And, and oh yeah, he didn't get a nap. You don't excuse the behavior, but you give a level of empathy to the behavior, don't you? You assume there's something going on that has contributed to that rude reaction. But we don't do this with adults usually, do we? And guess what? Adults have pain too. Adults have fatigue too. Adults have brokenness too. What if a part of their soul is broken? This was years and years and years and years and years ago. Um, The story I'm about to share with you. I had a difficult relationship with a man, a church member, who had initially been a friend to me. I'd stayed in his house. He'd been super kind to me. But as sometimes happened... um, Something switched in our relationship, and, uh, and from my perspective, he, he began to view himself as a one-man opposition party uh, to everything I proposed, which was quite frustrating. Uh, if, if I was for it, he was against it, and vice versa. And once uh, I was for it, he was against it, I saw the wisdom of his position, I changed my position, and then he changed his position so that we were still on opposite sides. And it was frustrating, and the frustration started to build, and I'll never forget a committee meeting where he dressed me down in a way that I had never been dressed down before. And I got so angry and agitated, my mouth dried up, and I was trying to talk, but I was just gumming words, and uh, I had no water, and it was terrible, and I felt like a fool. And I remember going home that night and venting uh, to my wife, and I remember saying, it was kind of an offhand comment, but I remember saying, I don't know what kind of shame that guy has in his past to cause him to treat me that way. It really was just an offhand comment. And I was furious and I wasn't forgiving. But I was intrigued, like, what's, what's up with this guy? And do you know what? It turns out he did have a private source of pain and shame. And later when that private shame became unavoidably present and public in his life, and when his public life collapsed, I said a quick prayer and I picked up the phone and I called him and we had a chance to reconcile and to share forgiveness with one another and to live as friends. What if, what if we really caught this vision of forgiveness? What if when people we love let us down, we didn't get all huffy and say, how could you, how dare you? What if we said, I bet they're going through something really hard right now, and I'm going to front them some grace. I'm going to bear with them. 
I'm going to choose to forgive them. What if we saw that in Christ's garments that we're outfitted with, not only are we incredibly loved and forgiven, but we have the privilege of sharing Christ's compassion and humility and gentleness and patience with others. There's an individual aspect to this forgive one another, but there's also a group aspect to this vision, and I don't want you to miss this part, because forgiveness also permeates Christ's house. That's the vision, that when you become a Christian, you become a part of God's family, you live under God's roof, you live with your Christian brothers and sisters, and the design, at least, is that forgiveness permeates the house. Forgiveness is not only something we wear, forgiveness is the atmosphere we breathe. Is that that true of us? That we breathe in Christ's forgiveness in and out, that we smell it when we walk in, that we breathe it in, that we share it. Well, that's what I think Paul talks about. In verse 15, he talks about an atmosphere of peace because where there's no forgiveness, there's no peace. Do you know that horrible feeling when you've had a fight with someone close to you, someone who's in the same house as you, and you don't resolve it. You stop fighting, but you don't resolve it. And there's this cold war going on. There's this terrible silence. There's this bitter spirit. I've heard from people before who for days, weeks at a time, communicate only through post-it notes, terse messages on post-it notes because they can't speak to one another. Man, when, when the opposite of peace, when unforgiveness feels, fills the house, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? But look at this vision in verse 15. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. We'll say something about the thankful part in just a moment. But that word rule means to referee, You know, we're going to have disagreements with one another. But to say, you know, I'd rather Christ win than I win. I I want the peace of Christ to reign between us. And then not just the peace of Christ is is the atmosphere of the house, but also the the teaching of Christ, the, the message of Christ. Maybe your translation in verse 16 says the word of Christ. Verse 16 says, let the the message, word, truth of Christ dwell among you. And what's what's the teaching of Christ? Well, uh, it's certainly the teaching of his love. It's the teaching of his cross. It's the teaching of his blood. It's the teaching of his truth. It's the teaching of his commandments. It's the teaching of his forgiveness. And that is to dwell richly among us. I mean, how are we going to speak about forgiveness and the cross in one breath? And then hold on to grievance in the next. That's not the atmosphere of this house. The peace of Christ rules. The truth of Christ dwells among us. And then get this, the worship of Christ echoes throughout the house. We teach one another. We admonish one another, verse 16 says. And then we do so. Uh, in the middle of verse 16 and then through verse 17, we do so through speaking psalms to one another. Uh, in, the, you know, in the same way we've prayed scripture with one another, we speak and sing hymns to one another. We write new songs from the Spirit. We sing to God with gratitude in our hearts. And whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, the third time we've seen 
uh, gratitude in this text, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What if that's the atmosphere of the body of those that Christ has forgiven? An atmosphere of grateful worship. I like the way the, the German theologian Karl Barth once put it. He says that, that the Christian community sings. He says, no, we're not a choral society, and when we sing, it's usually not a concert. But he said, he said there's just this inner compulsion in those whom Christ has redeemed to sing. He goes so far as to say a community which doesn't sing but in Bart's words sigh and mumble, not really a church. Yikes. <laughs> Are we a group of world-class mumblers, <laughs> sighers, grumblers? No, 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 we sing. We worship. That's the atmosphere. I want you to envision a group of people who have internalized the forgiveness of Christ, who sing psalms and write new psalms, who are grateful, who are always telling you the the blessings of God and what they're grateful for. And they're grateful in hard times as well as in good times. And and do you notice how gratitude, it's kind of like Miss Pac-Man. Somebody said the the students won't know Miss Pac-Man or Pac-Man, but but it's kind of like gratitude's here and here's grievance, right? And gratitude swallows grievance in the body of Christ. Now, I know I started the sermon talking about grievances. I listed some. I know they're still there, maybe literal scars, literal scars still there as you prepare to walk out in a few minutes. Maybe those hurtful words and actions are still so hard to swallow. Maybe this whole concept sounds like nonsense. I get it. I really do. I'm not trying to gloss over abuse by any sense or injustice today. These, we need the truth of Christ to reign. And these things need to be brought in, inside the light of the truth of Christ. But at the end of the day, church, bitterness is not our story. We uproot the root of bitterness. The world tells us to clothe ourselves with arrogance and pride and impatience and nastiness and negativity and gossip, right? But Christ pulls a very different garment out of the closet. He robes us in love. And his house is a house of peace. It's a house of truth. It's a house of grateful worship. So how would we live differently? I wonder, I wonder today who needs to go home and go out in the backyard and have a, have a funeral service for a grievance. Just, just turn some dirt, bury the grievance, not the person, by the way, not the person, uh, but, but bury the grievance. Put dirt on top of it. Plant a little cross on top. Remember how much forgiveness Christ has poured into you and me. I wonder, even as I've preached this sermon, as we've read this passage, has the Lord brought a face to mind of someone that you are not reconciled with. I wonder, could you be the first one to call, the first one to text, (laughs) the first one to reach out with words of forgiveness? I dare you. I doubled, I triple dog dare you. 
I'll close with this. When I was a kid, there was a really popular song on top 40 radio stations. It was sung by a guy uh, named Tony Orlando. He had a backup singer named Dawn, and uh, maybe it was a singer, I can't remember. And the song was loosely based on a, an old story about a prisoner who had served his time, and he was coming back home on a bus. And he had shared with fellow passengers that he wasn't sure whether the woman that he loved would accept him or reject him when the bus pulled into his hometown. And so before he was released, he had written a letter and he said, look, if you still want me, I want you to tie a yellow ribbon around the oak tree in the front yard of our house. If there's no ribbon when the bus, roll, when the bus rolls into town, I'll know there's no forgiveness in the house for me because of what I've done, I understand it. And I'll just stay seated on the bus as it rolls out of town. Well, he'd shared this story with the passengers on the bus. And as the song goes, the bus drives into town and suddenly the passengers in the front of the bus begin to erupt into tears. Why? Because the woman has tied not one, but a hundred yellow ribbons to the old oak tree. The story is likely folklore. The sentiment is our story. When Christ redeems us, when Christ outfits us, we become the yellow ribbon people, church. Our words, our deeds, our songs, our prayers tie grateful yellow ribbons everywhere. Grievances are buried in the backyard. Yellow ribbons adorn the front yard. And the peace of Christ blows through the leaves of that old oak tree. Make it so, Lord. Make it so. Continue to blow your peace through this place. Give us the strength to bury grievance and to sing out gratitude. Let's pray. Lord, I know this is a challenging word today. I know so many have been so grievously wounded. And yet, Lord, at the heart of our faith is the truth that we have grievously wounded you we have treated you as an enemy, and you have treated us as a friend, as a child. And so, Lord, would you clothe us with your Holy Spirit? Would you outfit us with your grace? Would you move a spirit of forgiveness through this place that would initiate words of forgiveness with others? And, Lord, would your peace just permeate this worship? as we pray gratefully, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.